Welcome to ADHD is Over, a new podcast on a seemingly old label that we're going to be peeling off. Join my wife, Tatiana, and I as we journey with our family, the Wyden family, through the land of confusing information. We're going to visit both sides and let you decide because the power is with you. Welcome to ADHD is Over. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the podcast. My guest today is Faye Deveris. Faye holds a BA in Humanities and teacher certifications in California and Maine, and she is the founder of the Homeschool for Babies and Parents. Faye has a wide range of experience working with children as an infant development specialist, an early intervention counselor, Montessori teacher, after-school wellness coordinator, and school counselor. Most relevantly, she was privileged to be employed as the lead teacher in one of the few Pikeler RIE modeled infant programs in the United States. Faye served as the Vice President for the United World of International Children's Rights in Vienna, Austria for four years. Throughout the years, she has researched, studied, and engaged in practices committed to respecting children. Faye and I are going to talk about ADHD, attachment theory, the impact of stress on our children, and whether daycare for children is good or bad for them. It is my pleasure to welcome my guest, Faye. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm it, very passionate about this topic, and I, um, yeah, I can just geek out on it. So, <laughs> I love that. It, it's my pleasure, and um, I'm excited to to dive into these topics with you. And I'm going to start out with a question I asked most of my podcast guests, which is to you, Faye, what is ADHD? ADHD to me is a symptom of stress. Mm, I love that. I love that. It kind of reminds me of what Gabor Mate said when he said it's a coping mechanism, right? It's like we get stressed and then somehow we have to react to that stress and it's not going to be calm. <laughs> yeah. And there's a whole cascade that, that I had spoken about before about uh, it, it's a physiological response. You know, the, the breath quickens, the heart starts beating faster. And so it's, um, it's not something when um, a, a child reacts like that, that it's something that's even in their control. They're just um, responding. And when we, yeah, and when we're talking about stress, right, you and I have talked about this extensively pre-interview. Um, with your research, right, I'm going to just jump right in because you have this really powerful, um, I would say, non-mainstream approach to uh, daycare and what it does to children. And I know this is a wide topic, so perhaps take us back to what inspired you to, to you know, dive into and do all this research around the effects on childcare that it has on our children. Yeah, I was, um, it's just, you know, in my work, I was always looking for the, the least stressful environment for a child. And it was always difficult for me working with children, finding a place where I felt the needs of children were being respected. And, um, and then um, when the pandemic happened, um, schools were closed and I, and I started um, working as a nanny. And so really I'm um, an infant development specialist, but you know, that's what 
you know, people were calling it. And, um, and, and so I thought that would be the least stressful, uh, you know, absolutely, you know, because it's just one-on-one -on -one and it's in the child's home. So they're in a familiar environment. But even then, even then, um, when children, especially babies, um, I was working with babies um, most recently, and, um, and just being separated from the mom, you know, this was, this was, it, it was more than the child could handle. Um, the, the last baby that I was with, she would, um, she would just scream. And I, I realized after, you know, and, and of course it got easier and easier and, you know, her, her mom was there and would come in and nurse her. And, um, but the thing is, she never cried a, a tear, a tear never came out. She was just enraged. She was enraged that she was being separated from her mom. It, it was, it was not, it was not okay. And this is, um, and so the program that I subsequently ended up developing the homeschool for babies and parents um, was to help parents to keep, to navigate a way to keep their child at home in their own care um, until at least the age of three, because the age of, um, at the age of three, you know, within those first three years is when 80% of the brain is developing and, and um, it sets up you know, its own architecture for the brain. And so you want, you really want to get, you know, good input in at that time. Mm. So is what I'm hearing pretty much this concept that if we separate the children from the, from the parent or parents, especially from the mother, right? Because the, the baby was born out of the womb of the mother, um, that that if it's done before the age of three has a severe impact on their nervous system, a stressful impact? Yeah, of course, it, it's different for every child. Um, every child is different. They have um, different ways of um, coping. And, and the other thing is it, it's how strong the attachment relationship is as well. That would be another piece. Um, you know, and, and in a daycare situation, they're not only separated from their mom, they're put into the hands of someone they don't recognize by sight, smell, feel in any way. And they're in an unfamiliar environment. And, and the environment is also um, busy. You know, there's lots of other children there as well. And, and you know, un, under threes, and really, you know, up until the age of five, you know, children are not, do not thrive in group environments. I, I could say that. And before three or during that time, um, before they turn three. Before the age of three, but it's really up until the age of five. John Bowlby, um, he was the first attachment theorist. He, he spoke about this and, um, and he said, you know, at least until the first two years. And, and the interesting thing about it, about, um, you know, what he was working on was he was um, the whole reason for his development of attachment theory was to affect policy. And, um, and that was 50 years ago, because he just saw that children when separated from from their parents went into a stress response. And. Um, and so, yeah, and at least until the, he said the age of two, but um, it's really it's really the big push now, if you look out there at all the different organ organizations, the, um, you know, children's 
dot orgs, they're, they're all talking about that zero to three. And, mm-hmm. and that, one that, of the latest studies I saw there, they're speaking about, so is, um, is zero is, is talking about the zero to three is taboo. So it's, yeah, as soon as the legitimacy of daycare is questioned, you know, then they go and they like throw the mom and the baby under the bus. And, and it has to do with their coping mechanisms. Hmm. That brings up a, a kind of a, a parenting dilemma. Let me call it that for now, where we've been taught that when a baby uh, shortly after they're born, right, when they're in the crib and they're crying, that we uh, ignore them. We let them cry themselves to sleep because we don't want to create what we would, we're sold or told that we don't want to create, you know, this dependence, like they need to be independent. They need to learn how to self-soothe. What do you say to that? I mean, what is that in regards to, you know, your, your theory or the attachment theory, what does that do to a child? And has that been sold to us for some other reason that it's not really good parenting? Yeah. Well, I, 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 do you have to quote um, Gordon Neufeld? He is the preeminent um, a- attachment theorist worldwide at this time, and and he's he always says that the um, you know in order to have your child become independent, they first need to be dependent, fully dependent, and and we're catching them. It's really um, you know um, keeping them regulated and out of trouble for those first three to five years. Hmm. Yeah, that that's really, uh, that's a great, you know, uh, I'm not saying, but to hear that, right? It's like to, to really make them independent later on, let's just say as adults or young adults, they need to first feel safe in the dependency, right? Of the mother, father, family, caregivers. Yes. And, um, and he goes on to say that, you know, the answer to attachment issues, uh, separation issues, sleep issues, protests, tantrums, um, is the answer to attachment issues is more attachment. Mm, I love it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah. it's so simple <laughs> actually. Yeah. And the yeah. kids will let us know that, you know, in, through the behavior and, mm-hmm. uh, and they, they know when, um, when it's not okay, what's happening with them. You know, because they're the most real people. <laughs> they're uh, totally authentic, and um, and they just um, they're gonna react. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there. It reminds me of something again, and I know Gabor Mate wrote a book um, with Gordon Neufeld. I believe it was the one around. Um, I want to say how to trauma-proof a child or something like that. Yeah, it's um, hold on to your. Hold on to your kids. Why? Um, why parents need to matter more than peers? Because That's right. Hold on to your kids. Yep. Yeah, because peers, you know, you're, you know, you're socializing a young child, and their peers don't know any more than them. I've had kids say that to me. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a good. I I have I have those books, both of them actually, and, um, you know, reminds me of this idea of when. I was talking to Gabor Mate and he said that, you know, when we, we, we diagnose kids with um, oppositional defiance, right? This, yeah. this disorder and ODD. And he said, hey, they're just acting out. 
you know, they're acting out. They can't express really what they're upset about or what they feel unsafe about or what they're confused by. They can't express it. They're often too young. And so they act out, right? And we look at acting out as a bad thing as like, oh, look, that kid's acting out. But we don't ask why. We just go to, oh, because the child has a disorder. Yeah, and they call it externalizing behavior now, which is uh, the, the top two are really, you know, aggression and ADHD. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's um, it's it's fascinating to me. Um, tell me a little bit about walk walk us through from your experience and your research. Uh, this whole idea you and I talked about these, I called it the amygdala burnout, right? What happens when you get yes. stressed mm -hmm, as yeah. a child, especially. Yeah. And, and basically when a child is acting out, they're, they're letting us know that the situation is unmanageable for them. They, 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 they cannot, they cannot handle it. And so when, whenever an infant or young child is put into an, an unfamiliar or distressing situation, um, which, which is also group situations, right? Um, um, they, they automatically um, go into a cascade of stress responses. And so the, the first thing to be alerted is the amygdala. And that's a part of the brain that deals with emotional processing. And, um, and so it interprets, you know, the situation, whatever's going on. And, and then it, um, and, and if it perceives danger, then it sends a distress signal to the hypothalamus. And so the hypothalamus is like the command center and, and it communicates with the nervous system. And, it, um, and, and then it will send signals to the adrenals, which will then, um, which will then um, release adrenaline. And so once the adrenaline is released, this is when they're having those physiological effects, you know, the, rapid heartbeat and the exaggerated breathing and um and you know actually the pulse rate everything you know it, it is going up and they can't they can't even um do anything about it and then they go in and so the adrenaline puts them into fight or flight and again like the the top two um you know issues with children you know mental health issues with children are um, aggression and adhd and um and when they go, um, when they have this, and so if you think about it, um, you know, fight or flight, you know, it's the fight is the aggression, that it, the aggression issues and disorders that we see and the ADHD is the flight. Yeah, very simply put, but again, I think it's so clear and we're not looking at it yeah. that way, right? And I, I think one of the unfortunate things is that you know, like, you know, we want, you know, our intuition to kick in. And, um, but the thing is, is um, most parents, you know, at this, you know, at this time, you know, they were in daycare themselves. And so that's a big, big thing to, you know, to, you know, just to accept and, and start to, you know, if you dare to understand and process and 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 maybe there's another um way you know and the way that you were raised maybe wasn't you know the best your parents were doing the best they could but and, and now I, I i i find myself 
um, referring to instinct rather than um, intuition, just because the intuition, it's it's not there. And, and you know, I, I hear moms, you know, say to each other, it's okay, you're doing the right thing. Um, you know, it's, it's gut-wrenching, you know, when you drop your baby off at daycare, but, um, you know, you know, that's what you have to do. And, you know, just keep going. It's going to get easier. And the thing is, but what if the mom's gut was right? You know, I mean, that's all we have. You know, we have to, we just have what we know and what we feel. And the moms are having physiological, you know, reactions as well. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's amazing how, you know, we've created a society that doesn't really allow us to frequently stop and listen to our intuition, right? Or yeah. call it instincts. And, and I feel like our entire, you know, advertising industry and just all the systems we've created don't really value intuition as much as impulsive, uh, instincts or choices we make that are actually told to us or sold to us through television, uh, you know, the internet and our authority figures, politicians and so forth. And so no wonder that a lot of parents doubt them, doubt their intuition. They may have an impulse to go, I don't, I don't really want to take my child to a, a daycare or I don't really want to live in this busy city or I don't want to be on the, in the rat race or in the hamster wheel, you know, with two busy parents always working. And I guess a lot of parents would say, I can't, I can't, right. I don't have the time. I don't have the money. What's your experience with, with these kind yeah. of responses? You know, the thing is, it's a choice. It, 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 it really is a choice. Uh, my, my, my niece is a doula and, and she, you know, actually she says she can barely do it anymore. And she's actually, um, taking, um, on the, New York City, the East Coast part of the program for um, the homeschool for babies, um, because it, it's, you know, parents will say, oh, you know, I can't imagine ever, you know, leave, you know, putting my baby in daycare or, you know, not being with them. I just, you know, just being separated. And she always goes, well, you can, <laughs> you know, and what she chose to do, she lives in New York City. They got a smaller apartment. She's in a, a, a one bedroom apartment with, um, you know, two under fives. And um, and you just you, you make it work. And it's just for those years. It's just for those first like three to five years. Um, that reminds me of something you mentioned that actually coincidentally, um, we did when our first son Kai was born is we took 40 days off, um, yeah. from, from work and we stayed home and we had friends make food and bring by food. We never left the house. I may have left it a few times to do stuff, but, um, what's that all about? And you brought this up as well. Yeah, no, it's funny. I'm second generation Greek and that is the tradition. The first 40 days, you know, mom and baby do not leave the house and you know, everybody's there, family's there. Um, and that's one of the kind of the sad things. And now there's not really a lot of family to draw on. Um, I, I remember when when my um, my third child was was two and I said, Mom, if you could come over, you know, maybe two mornings um, a week, that would make such a difference for me. And she said, 
oh, I can't make that kind of commitment. And I thought, what? And and I, I and then there's also, um, and so many moms I talk to, they're like, no, my, my mom can't do it. Or, you know, they live very far away. And so, it, you know, it's, um, it's, it's almost like a setup that, you know, that's making it, you know, really challenging to be able to um, stay home with your children. But it is, it's just for, you know, really that, you know, precious, you know, first years. Yeah. And I will uh, just want to address that because, uh, you know, some people will see this as maybe uh, we call it victim shaming or saying, oh, well, you know, if you can't do this, you're a bad parent, or not everybody can do that, not everybody can afford it, and so forth. And I I agree with you. First of all, we're not shaming anyone here. You do the best you can. But I do agree with you that it is a choice, right? It is a choice that we could make that might lead to a better life altogether. We may think I can't afford it, I can't do it. But I found it to be always, there's always help, there's always support. There's where there's a will, there's a way. I yeah. believe that, right? It may not look the way you and I describe it. You may have your own version of it. We had ours, somebody else has theirs, but how come, what do you think has to change in our society so that we can honor birth and, and life and mothers and children uh, and fathers, of course, but in those early, early moments, right? The mother who is dealing well, with the birth, what, what needs to change in our society so we can do that? Policy. I mean, they, they're, they, you know, fund and subsidize daycares and, um, but there's, there's not a choice for the mom to say, okay, I'm not going to send my child to daycare. Um, you know, can I be subsidized or, you know, or, you know, there's different, um, there's, um, like a social security system that people are thinking of that can go to parents. Um, uh, Erica Komisar speaks about this, um, but, but. Yeah. Um, sorry, I just lost a thought, but um, no worries. Go ahead. Ask yeah. Her. Yeah. Go ahead. I was going to say that, um, uh, you know, I grew up in Switzerland and when I was a kid, uh, th there was no uh, daycare, childcare. I mean, yeah. families raised their kids until they went to school and, you know, there wasn't. And when I moved over here and I realized, wow, it's a whole, um, a whole, business, a whole system, and and perhaps, and let me know if you uh, find your way back into your thoughts, but there I is, did. you did. I did. And, 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 and it is, it's different in Switzerland now and in Europe in general. I also raised my first um, two children there um, in, in Austria. And um, the thing is that, you know, not putting your child in daycare, you will save 30 to $50,000 a year. I mean, that's something, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point, right? When we say, well, I can't, but then they're going to be home. I can't go to work. But then if we just go to work to pay for daycare, right? It's kind of pointless. Yeah. And of course, it's not always a wash, but, but this brings me to um, the book you're writing. You're working on a book. Um, yes. That's why I was so excited to talk to you because you're literally still in it. Uh, you finished a draft and uh, it's called the daycare industrial guild complex. Love that yeah. name. <laughs> um, so you're, you're swimming against the stream here. You're going against the grain. You're obviously bringing up something or taking a point of view that might be very unpopular. Uh, tell me more about the, the book and what inspired you and perhaps what you've, the feedback you've gotten so far. 
Uh, it was in my research putting the, um, you know, the website and the presentations together for the Homeschool for Babies and Parents program. And um, and it was really when I came across the cortisol studies because, you know, everyone wants to know the science. And, um, and, and I really, I think it's one of the most important things, um, you know, to impart to parents. You know, I always address, um, you know, attachment, um, child early brain development and the cortisol studies, because, you know, this is the hard science. Um, and, and so the, the thing is when you, when you first, you know, what I did is, you know, my research um, for the book, you know, what I was basing the book on was the impact of daycare. And so I would, I just Googled, um, you know, the impact for, um, for daycare on children, um, babies and young children. And, you know, first you get the, um, the NICHD, the National Institute of Child Health and Development and, and the NIH studies. And they were, I mean, it was unbelievable. I, I, you know, I read the study and I thought, oh, man, I'm not understanding that. So I read it again and then I read it again and I read it again. And finally I realized, you know, it doesn't make sense. They didn't make sense, you know, and they would always say, oh, we're looking beyond the, the global question of is daycare um, good or bad for children? And we're um, looking at the complex relationship between childcare uh, characteristics and developmental outcomes. <laughs> and then on top of that, they were always, you know, you know, vague, contradictory, and again, throwing the mom under the bus whenever the legitimacy of daycare was questioned. And um, so I started with those in the book and I got all those in. And, you know, I put my comments in there just so, you know, parents, you know, because this is for parents, I want parents to have, um, you know, the right, you know, the information, you know, to make the right decisions for their children and childcare. And, um, and so we had those first studies and, um, and so I made my comments in there just, you know, so people don't think they're crazy when they're reading them. Cause I, I did, you know, and I, I, you know, educated on this and, um, and then, um, and then I got into, and I couldn't even refer to them as scientific scientific studies they were research studies and 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 then you know and then they would just you know they'd have one study and then they'd redo it and it would be like 610 pages <laughs> like no, no one's gonna read that and it still didn't make any sense and 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 they always had these vague con conclusions that they you know that they can't really conclude and more research needs to go into this and um but they never went back to the um you know you know, the glaring question is daycare good for children, young children, and it's, which it's not. I was just going to ask you, is it, or is it not? <laughs> it is not good for babies, especially babies and young children really up until the age of five. And this is why historically um, grade school starts, you know, at um, when the child is six years old, first grade, six years old, because that's when they can handle it. That's when they can manage it. Yeah. Well, it makes me think of, obviously we're talking about, uh, on this podcast a lot about ADHD and if it's a coping mechanism to stress, to, uh, feeling unsafe, unsettled, like you said, if a child can't handle something, right. Process it or be with it. 
they act out or they look for something that's more comfortable or more distracting or, you know, uh, fun or whatever you want to insert here, but it's not being in the present moment. Could it be that, uh, you know, you say daycare is not good for children, you know, zero to five, uh, those are kind of the formative years of the brain and where we start diagnosing kids as early as three and four. Um, again, not saying uh, uh, putting your child in a daycare causes ADHD, but stress seems to be really like, you know, a, tra a traumatized child could be a, a child that's separated from, from the parents, right, at an early age. And every part of my research leads back to or points to trauma. So I think I'm asking you, but I'm sort of speaking out loud, is like, could it be that stress inflicted on a child at an early age can really cause these kind of what we call mental disorders. Absolutely. I, I mean, um, you know, the stats now are one in six children, um, one, yeah, one out of six children ages two to eight years old, two to eight years old have a, um, a, a mental health diagnosis. And, and now I think it's one in five, but, you know, that was the latest that I heard, but, and that's the CDC, you know, CDC. But you know, you know how, when you just said this, okay, I just have to jump in and say how ridiculous it sounds because we're basically saying a child between let's say two and eight, right. We're saying they have a mental disorder as if we're talking about a fully formed brain already and looking at it and saying, oh, I see a problem here versus, oh, this child is still developing and there's some challenges and we're going to guide it, soothe it, heal it, process it. Eventually, as an adult, somehow they'll find their way. But we don't do that. We look at it as a fully formed brain, but it's not. And a lot of parents don't think about that. They literally just trust a so-called expert who says, yeah, there's a problem in your child's brain or with your child's brain. And we go, oh, okay, well, I guess that's what it is, right? But it's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. And the thing is that it, it, it's it's the stress response. It, 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 it comes from stress. Um, you know, only very rarely is ADHD caused by some kind of brain disorder. It, it is predominantly from stress. It's a, yeah. it, it's a stress response. And I, mean, no, I, I just don't imagine, you know, you're, you're, you're a young child. If we can, you know, imagine that we're a young child and, um, and, and your parent just takes you because this is, you know, through the eyes of the child takes you to another place and hands you to another person. And you're in this room with all these other little people and other adults. And, and you're supposed to play, you know, and, and, you know, and they're just, they're just, you know, trying, you know, to regulate, you know, the systems, you know, at play trying to regulate them, but they're, they're basically, they're just holding on, they're holding their breath till their mom comes back. You know, they, it, it's all about, that's what Bowlby talked about, it's the proximity. You know, they need to be within the proximity of their mom to feel safe. And, and it's from that safe space that they're able to go out and explore the world and, and play. 
And, and at that age, the other pieces I've heard parents say, well, I want my baby to be, you know, really well socialized. And it's like, okay, they will, you know, then magically make them be five, you know, and that, that would do it. But otherwise, and, and, you know, wait, I just want to go back to the, um, the, the mom shaming. Um, you know, the thing is, I put my kids in daycare. I didn't, I didn't know. You know, we didn't know. And, you know, and you're, you're, you're fighting. I, I remember it was really upsetting. You know, I was always the mom who said, oh, I'm just going to stay here until, you know, they feel safe. And, um, you know, and annoying to, to the people there. And they're like, well, it doesn't help. And it's not good for the other children and blah, blah, blah. But the thing is, you know, it, you know, it, we, we all we all did it. We all thought that that was the correct thing to do. And we wanted to do the best for our children. And moms will always only do the best, what they think is best for their children. So, um, it, it, you yeah. know, it, there, there's no mom shaming. It's like, you know, if anything, it's a, 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 a societal, you know, shame on all of us. Yeah. And it's, it's, I always bring up the example when I talk about ADHD and how we buy into it and we say it's a disorder and medication's the answer and you got it for life and it's chemical imbalance and it's genetic and all these incomplete uh, truths, right? I always compare it to when doctors used to sell cigarettes, right? <laughs> and, and it's not that long ago and we bought it, right? But here's the thing. There were some humans, lots of humans who didn't buy into it, who were like, this doesn't, this doesn't, no, I don't want to do this, right? So yeah. it's not like, it's not like we have no choice or no power, no autonomy. I believe that the more aware we are, the more research we do besides just Googling it. Most people just use the first page or two pages maximum of the Google search results. We have to go way beyond that, right? We have to research the opposition too, because I do believe there's always value on both sides and then we can make up or multiple sides and then we can make up our mind, right? Versus oh, I just Googled this and this is the truth because it's skewed, you know, uh, it's an algorithm. It also has, it's also politically skewed and, and who knows what else, right? Censorship and so forth. Um, but I just want to say when we talked to, you talked about ADHD, mental disorders, and um, it's interesting how we, we have this diagnosis of depression and anxiety and to me, it's very similar when people say, oh, I'm, I'm, I have depression. I always ask them, what are you depressed about? And they go, well, I have depression. So it's not like, what am I depressed about? I have depression as if it was a tumor in your brain or as a, as if there were biological markers, which they're not. Um, so it's very similar to this idea of when people say I have anxiety or depression, whatever. it's almost like we could ask, like you said, we could ask, well, what's stressing you out? Yeah. Right. Why is why is stress not really the bad guy? We almost celebrate it. It's like, well, I have stress at work. Well, you know, it's work. I mean, it's high pressure. Right. It's just how it is. And, you know, here's a funny side note. I just went to Universal Studios with my son, his friend and and then my, you know, his little brother. So the four of us went to go on all these rides and oh, my God, I haven't been back there in so long. It was so intense. These rides are so loud. There's so much information coming at you constantly. I was sitting there thinking, is, 
anyone else's nervous system freaking out? Cause I'm freaking out a little bit, you know, and you could say, Oh, well, you're older and kids need it. But no, I, kids' nervous systems are even more fragile and we're just shooting stuff at them. Like, like a machine gun fire. And again, to me, uh, my youngest one said something, he said, you know, this, this ride was exciting, but it really stressed me out at the same time. And we talked about adrenaline and, yeah. you know, there's no difference between fear and excitement in those moments, but the nervous system will take that hit. Yeah. It's, it, it just, it makes me think of like distractions, you know, just how, how, how parents are like, you know, distracted from, you know, other possibilities and other options for, you know, for childcare and, you know, keeping their children at home. Uh, as long as possible. And and then like, and, and then kids are massively distracted, you know, and, and parents do that. Like when their child's upset, you know, they'll give them the cell phone with a little video on it, you know, and, you know, there's, you know, emergency situations where, you know, we, you know, might have to do that, at, you know, at different points, but, but it's, um, yeah, it, you know, it's just like, it, everything's like, you know, pointed out when we just really need to come back home, you know, to ourselves and to like, what am I feeling? Oh, I'm feeling a little anxious. And, and instead of like, you know, why am I anxious? You know, just sit with it a little bit, just sit with it. And, and, you know, and, and, and then, you know, and, and you'll be able to start to, you know, recognize more, you know, as you, you know, keep walking through the day in your life, you know, what's, what's stressful and what you want, <laughs> what you want in your life and what you don't want. I mean, this, you know, it's my big hope is that, you know, ultimately that, you know, that, that people can just say, you know, cause we are, we're, we're in such a rat race. We don't even know we're in a rat race anymore. You know, yeah. that people don't even use that term anymore. But the thing is, you know, just imagine, you know, you know, if we really just sit down and think, you know, how, how, you know, about like designing and, and, and creating like, um, you know, a life that we want, you know, is this what we want? Is this what we want for our child? Is this what we want for ourselves and, you know, each other? And, you know, it, it does not have to be that way, you know, and, and they're, they're, you know, and then, you'll, you know, people distract you with extremes of people who, you know, like um, Captain Fantastic. <laughs> yes. Right? But um, he was pretty fantastic. It, that was a great movie. And that's a, that's a plug I'd love to do. One of the best movies I've ever seen, Captain Fantastic. To yeah. our listeners, if you yeah. haven't seen this a great sort of juxtaposition of uh, two worlds, which is the rat race world, and then the sort of living in a cave on a mountain kind of type of world, right? And, and I think it's the happy medium, right, that we need to find in our society, unless you want to live out in the middle of nowhere in nature and raise your kids. I think I know people who do that, and they're completely happy. It's not my thing, but I'm definitely leaning more towards that than I am leaning towards living near Universal Studios, if you know what I mean. <laughs> you know, um, so you said something brilliant and it came, this sort of brought up the idea of the title for this episode. Um, you said, you talked about parenting your child's nervous system. Can you expand on that a little bit? Uh, yes. Um, Parenting your child's nervous system. Um, you know, I, I think, it, you know, it's, it's fi finding a way. Um, it, it's really, it, you know, it, it's about, you know, being able to engage and connect. And um, actually, you know, I have a little, um, 
what do you, I, don't, I forget what you call them when, you know, you take a word like slow and then you break it apart. And so, and, and actually an old friend um, taught this to me. And, you know, when, when you're approaching, you know, any situation or somebody in distress, you know, the first thing you do is you smile, you know, gently, <laughs> not like a huge, you know, because they're in distress. You smile, you listen, you observe, and then you wait. Sweet. And, you know, and, and thing, things, you know, kids come up with stuff. I mean, it, it amazes me, you know, just, you know, just to give a little, you know, microcosm within the macrocosm, um, you know, what the type of, um, you know, care I provide, you know, with, um, with children, I use um, these um, uh, focused care protocols. And so even like with a tiny baby, you can do this. And so when you're changing your diaper, their diaper, and, um, and the thing is, you know, you know, children um, of that diaper changing age, they have 1000 synaptic connections going on in their head per second. And so they are learning, learning, learning. And, um, and so like, so you're changing a child's diaper and, and, you know, you script the whole way through, oh, it's time to change your diaper. And you go to get the child and you put your hands out towards them. And you sit there and, and, and you wait. You wait until they reach towards you or, you know, they lean forward a little bit. And then every step along the way, okay, I'm unzipping your, um, you know, your onesie. You know, um, can you take, your, you know, can you take your leg out? And you just wait. And then... <laughs> you know, really smile, listen, you know, observe, wait, and then slowly they pull their knee out, you know, and then it's like, oh, you're helping. Thank you. And then you do the other one. And, you know, um, I'm, I'm teaching the mom now who um, I'm taking care of her baby, you know, this protocol. And, you know, she said, oh, but he's not doing it for me and he's not lying down. And, and the thing is, it, it's, I said, it took me a long time. It took me a long time to slow way down. And, and um, you know, and I, the, the thing is, it's just, it, it, it's such a beautiful way to be with children because, um, you know, it, it's respectful and, and things come out of them that you never would think would come out of a child that young. Um, and, and I mean, it's absolutely precious and, and, and this is what, and you're connecting the whole time and you never do something to a child. You always do something with the child. And so, you know, in any kind of like stressful situation with the child, you know, no matter what the age, you know, that you can just do that same thing, just smile gently, know that, let them know that you're okay, you know, and, um, listen to them. And even if they don't say anything, observe them and just wait. And, and you can comment on what's going on with them. You know, um, you know, I, I, you look, you look a little bit sad, you know, is, is, um, is, is there something I can help you with? You know, and just very, very slowly, but you know, it's, it, um, it's a, it's a, it's a different way of being and it's a choice. And, um, you know, and I'll get wound up again and, and, and have to, you know, slow myself down. But um, that's a practice, I'm, you know, I'm fine, you know, failing and, and, and getting better at all the time. Well, that sounds to me, again, like a almost extreme version of slowing down in life, right? And 
in our society, we are actually encouraged to speed up. You know, everything is faster now. It's like all the tools we're creating is so that we can do more work or be faster, have more interaction on the internet or sell more product or get somewhere faster, right? And I do this with my children. I've been saying this to them since early age and they still kind of like scratch their heads. And I always say fast, I say uh, slow is fast. You know, slow down. And what you're trying to achieve, you will actually get there faster than if you rush it. And it's happened before, right? Where you rush something and you spill it and then you got to clean it up and then now you lost time. And so I believe that slowing down is really the key to all of this, to ADHD, depression, anxiety, all these disorders that we have, like if we slow down, we're more aware of what's happening. And if we're more aware of what's happening, then we have to really look at what's happening. And that, that includes what happened to us as children, what's unresolved, right? Traumas and things like that. And we have to start doing the work. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, I think that leads to a more present, fulfilled society. But this is like a long-term goal. This is a big vision I have. Um, but what would you say to parents today that are about to, they're de trying to decide whether they should put their, their child in childcare. Uh, you know, they just got married, had a kid. Now it's like, oh my God, what do we do? We're both working. Uh, what are some of the options you've seen? Uh, we talked a little bit about it already, but what can parents look into to see maybe they can avoid childcare in that sense, the typical child, childcare? Yeah. Well, um, I, I think one of the things that, um, you know, when I kind of came up with this idea, it was a pandemic and both parents were working from home. And so, um, you know, they were able to, you know, start to synchronize their schedules a little bit so that, um, so that they could, you know, swap out as far as, you know, taking care of the baby. And, um, and and then and there's so many different situations. I you know I I know of, um, two moms, um, and they both had um, babies the same age, and they you know both worked part time, and um, and actually they were able. Uh, I mean I think, I um, you know they ended up continuing to do it with their whole family, and so it's it's almost like two families <laughs> have become one, but um, so so. Uh, the mom that I'm working with now, you know, she's a, she's a therapist and she works from home and um, and she works part time. And so I had um, you know spoken to her about, hey, I bet there's another mom out there who also is able to make her own schedule and works from home and has an infant. And um, and you could swap child care, you know, so so the time and, and I think the ultimate situation would be if, um, you know, when the mom who's working the mom with the, who has her baby goes to their house and provides the care there because then there's always another parent there, you know, in case of an emergency or something, but that, um, and also the baby whose mom wasn't present at that time, at least they were in their own home. So that that's one option. Um, um, I, I would say absolutely though, the first thing that I, I would, I, I suggest to parents is family, you know, um, a grandmother, um, an auntie, a cousin, an uncle, um, that that's, I think that's the best scenario because, um, the child's going to know this person for the whole of their life. 
right? Um, and then um, I had this other idea about um, having a, um, uh, um, an office workspace for moms and where there would be um, um, as needed daycare there. And, but I would also, and even in those situations, I would still have the mom set up a free play space in their own home, which just looks like, you know, kind of a wood, wooden gated area, but, but large, you know, I think um, like six by eight feet and you have, um, you know, selected toys in there. And I mean, and it's amazing that, um, you know, as long as the babies can see the mom, you know, it's the whole proximity thing. Um, as long as they can see the mom, you know, they're able to play. And and this is when babies learn the most, you know, when, you know, they have the secure base they see right there and they're free to go out and explore, you know, whatever it is, even if it's a rattle, you know, with a newborn, you know, they can spend hours like looking at their hands. And so, you know, of course, you know, there's the, the um, you know, care routines that we have to have, you know, changing the baby, feeding the baby, um, helping the baby go to sleep. But um, there, there's so many possibilities. That's great. Thanks for sharing that. And something just came up as you were talking is this idea um, about when a child feels unsafe, they go into defense, right? The defense mechanism kicks in and you, they can't learn at the same time as that defense mechanism is turned on. Yeah. So it's either or, right? In the case of ADHD, we see that kids are not interested, A, learning because it's boring, what's antiquated, how we teach, what we teach. We're, have, we're gonna have a rude awakening soon because my kids who are very smart are already questioning why they're learning certain math because they're not, it's just all already AI, right? Calculators. Right. And they know that if they're really interested and they want to become an engineer or a math teacher or whatever, they will learn it because it's what they're passionate about. Right. But this rude awakening, I think is going to happen because we are going to realize that uh, the people that are not sitting still and they don't want to learn a, because they're not interested, it's boring. But also if they have what we call ADHD, these behaviors are due again, to being stressed out, being uncomfortable, not being able to deal with process what's present. And so the coping mechanism kicks in. I need a distraction because that's going to feel more safe or I can forget about where I'm at. And it might be a false sense, right? It might be a past event, like a, like a red flag. It's not maybe real in the moment, but they do feel unsafe. They, they feel uncomfortable because something gets triggered, right? And so it amazes me when you're talking about childcare that we don't consider, first of all, all the research that's out there, you know, about it, like you've been researching. And so my question is, why is this research, you said attachment theories was started in the 50s, right, I believe, or this idea of making it policy. So what's in the way? What industrial complex is <laughs> the daycare industrial complex? Exactly. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. You, you know, the thing, you know, it gives me hope, you know, when you're talking about that, that this is not going to keep working, you know, that the kids are going to protest. And I think that eventually, you know, when parents are going to protest and eventually, 
actually, it's, it, as, as more people will venture out there and say, no, this doesn't make sense. This doesn't make sense. It doesn't feel right to me. Or I don't want to do it. And that's what the yeah. kids are saying. I don't want to do it. You know? And um, so, so I think that, um, I mean, I have great faith that, that you know, we're moving towards that. But that enough people, enough people have to be saying, no, this doesn't make sense. I don't yeah. want. I don't want to do this. And I think our our, our next generation or this current next generation will. Uh, my son, the youngest one, is twelve, and he's he's brilliant, and he's already told me, you know, because my standard adult answer to why do we have to learn this stuff? It's antiquated, and I don't need it, and it's too complicated. You know, my answer is like, well, look at it this way. At least you're. Uh, you know, training your brain to problem solve, and that's going to help you in life. Yeah, there's some truth to that. But there's way more constructive, inspiring, valuable ways to train the brain to problem solve than what we're teaching kids. I know. Imagine if if if, if kids um, felt passionate, you know, that, that they were in, in a learning situation where because they have that passion and, and when it when it's being squashed, you know, that's when, you know, they're feeling anxious and stressed, you know, because it's like there's no way out of the box. You're saying there's a box. <laughs> <laughs> we can't tell because we're in it. <laughs> Right, exactly. It's like the boiling, the frog in the boiling water. Like you said, the rat race, we're just what rat race? We're in it. You know, we're not, we're not rats. So that must not apply to us, you know, which by the way, one of my theories too, is like probably the most underestimated addiction or under whatever overseen addiction in our world is workaholism. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I think, and, and that, that, that is a big, makes a big contribution to this rat race, to both parents having to work, to uh, we feel like we have to have two incomes because, you know, everything is getting more expensive and uh, you have to have two incomes to even buy a house or rent a really nice house. So I get it. There's societal factors. But again, going back to it's a choice, we I believe have to look at what is our ideal that we're striving for? Like, where did this come from that we should make an X amount of money, have a, this type of house, have this type of car, this type of wealth or image, right? Yeah. Where's, where's that come from? And is that actually going to lead to fulfillment? Cause I can tell you, I know some parents here where I live that uh, basically homeschool their kids. They live far out. We're talking half hour from this town, which is a small town in the mountains. And they, when you meet them, they are so present. They are so loving. They seem so, and you know, no one's ever fully fulfilled and happy every moment, but in their presence, I feel so much more inspired and calm and loving to me. That's a sign that they don't need fancy houses, fancy cars, fancy schools in order to achieve some kind of ideal, you know? So I think we're kind of, we're kind of putting the carrot on our own stick. I don't think it's society. Society just gives us the advertising and the image and here's what you should do. But then we're the ones, right? We put, put that carrot on our stick and off we go. Yeah. No, it's interesting. And, and, um, my, um, and both two of my kids, uh, so far, um, 
Uh, one is in Texas. He's actually in Paris, Texas. I mean, it's out there. It, and and that's, um, you know, this this is the life that he's moving towards 100 percent. And and my daughter and um, and her fiance down in um, in Santa Barbara, they're um, they're looking they're looking out of California to be able to, to afford a house. They were talking about Tennessee. <laughs> like, Mom, would you move to Tennessee? And, um, you know, because they want that life. You know, they, they, they want to have land. They want to be, you know, able to be home with their children. You know, I mean, of course, one of them can work, but, um, but yeah, uh, you know, a very different life than, you know, than, you know, is in the narrative. That is, yeah, presented to us as the ideal, right? Um, well, Faye, this has been a great conversation. I know you and I could go on forever. There's lots of little corners to dive into, but one, I want to do a 2.0 when your book is finished. This is the Daycare Industrial Guilt Complex. And I'm so glad we were able to have a conversation prior to, to the book being released. And I know that uh, you are bracing for some criticism, which is a yeah. good sign, right? If no one criticizes your work, it's probably not that great. So I think what you're doing is heroic. And uh, uh, also, I think very nice, because again, you're not shaming anyone, you're just pointing out the obvious. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, this is something that we're all going to have to, um, you know, work out well, individually, and you know, as a community, as a collective. Yeah. Thank you for taking the time to be on our podcast. I really, really enjoyed our conversation and uh, hope that you'll be back soon. Me as well. Thank you so much for this opportunity. I, I, I loved the conversation. Well, we need more of it. Yes, we will. (laughs) Thank you.